0: I have this theory that if you ever go to Western Union or use a Western Union, you probably have an interesting story as to why. Here's my Western Union story. This one time I had a job and while working there, I got to be friends with a co-worker. His name was Billy Ray. Billy Ray was a wild, crazy older guy who had so many stories that I didn't even know if they were true or made up or what. I would sometimes hang out with Billy Ray after work. He had an unusual way of looking at the world. He was pretty suspicious and didn't trust anyone. He had a lot of street smarts too. And he always made sure to keep an eye on me to help me stay out of trouble too. One day after work, which was payday, Billy Ray asked if I could drive him home. I said, sure. We hop in my car. He says, hey, on the way home, can we stop by Western Union? I said, Billy Ray, there's nothing good for you at Western Union. Trust me, you don't want to go there. He said no, no 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 i have to send money back home to my ma in milwaukee i said fine so we drive to western union i park on the street right in front i tell him listen i'm gonna wait here in the car until you get out he gets out and goes in now my car was a little weird the back license plate was my legal normal license plate but the state i lived in didn't require a front license plate So I'm like, well, you know what? I'm gonna put a novelty plate on the front if it's not required. So I put on this license plate that said Area 51 and it looked like it was from the state of Nevada. Well, while I was parked there, a cop drove by, saw my Area 51 plate and laughed. And then as he went by, he looked back and saw a different plate on the back. Well, the cop didn't like this and swung back around and parked right behind me on the street in front of Western Union. He gets out, comes to my car, asks about my two different license plates. I said, Oh yeah, one's just a fake plate because I don't need that one on the front. He said, look, that's just wrong. Don't put a fake license plate on your car. I told him, okay, as soon as I get home, I'll take it off. So he takes my license and registration back to his police car to check if I was wanted for anything. Well, at this point, Billy Ray comes out of Western Union and comes into my car and says, all right, let's go. I said, well, I gotta wait a minute. He asks, why? I said, well, there's a cop behind us. He's like, did you do something wrong? He looks back and sees the cop coming to the car. Billy Ray starts flipping out. He starts shouting nonsense like, I knew you were a criminal. I knew from the first minute when I saw you, what are you, an ax murderer? What did you do? I said, Billy Ray, why did you get in the car when there was a cop behind me? Didn't you look first? He was upset. He got all fidgety and didn't know what to do. He asked me, should I run? How bad is this? I said, calm down, I'll sort this out. I can hear him start to hyperventilate. The cop comes up to the window, hands me my license and registration, and says, have a good day. I started to drive off. I explained to Billy that I had a novelty plate that the cop didn't like. And from then on, Billy Ray never asked me for a ride home again. These are true stories from the dark side of the internet. I'm Jack Resider. This is Darknet Diaries. A real quick warning before we get started. This episode has some strong language and may not be appropriate for all listeners. If you're sensitive to explicit language, you may want to skip this one. So it's fairly common that when I post an episode, there seems to always be someone who messages me afterwards saying, Hey, I'm familiar with that story. They say something like, Oh, I used to work there, or I knew that guy. It's wild, but I love hearing any extra bits of detail that I might have missed. And that's how I met this guy, our guest today. After publishing episode 32, titled The Carter, I got a message from a guy named Cameron. And Cam told me I actually got some of the details wrong in that story. And I said, how do you know? And he said, because he was part of that operation. This led us to some phone calls to discuss more. It's
1: kind of a weird situation, you know, where I'm at and everything.
0: And the more I talked with Cam, the more I learned how crazy his story was.
1: But I'm kind of weird about it anyway, just just talking in general uh, with, a certain, you know, with a bunch of people around and then on top of that, like I was saying, with the cameras and everything, it just kind of sketches me out a little bit. Yeah, I really
0: feel so, comfortable. What, but, you're in the yard of a halfway house? Is that what it is?
1: Yeah. I'm
0: actually at a halfway house. Um,
1: I, I did about little over, right at about eight years in
0: prison. Oh, well, uh, I guess you know the ending now. Eight years in prison, currently in a halfway house, which is where we talked over the phone.
1: Now we have this train about to terrorize us. I hear it. You heard it? Yeah. Come on closer. Yeah, you hear it, huh?
0: You hear that thing all night long?
1: Yes. God. They choose like the the worst fucking uh, property that they can buy. I guess you know it's like the cheapest. So it's always all the jails, and it seems like almost every jail, every fine establishment like this place, is uh usually next to. A, a train track.
0: I just wanted to mention this train part because if you're driving and you hear like a train go by, it might be from this podcast. So after having chats with him and going back and forth with phone calls, I looked through his indictment and tried to piece together exactly what he did and who he was. And I'll be honest, Cam wasn't who I was expecting. Yeah, it's interesting hearing from you because mm-hmm. I was, I wasn't sure if you're going to have a Russian <laughs> accent or where are you from? So
1: I grew up in Augusta, Georgia.
0: Let's start at the beginning, or at least back to high school. His first experience with this side of the internet came when Cam was a teenager. Cam was selling stuff on eBay to make a little money, and his eBay account got hacked. Someone sent him a phishing email and he fell for it. He entered his password on the hacker's website and not on eBay's. The hackers then used his password and logged into his eBay account and quickly changed his password and email so he couldn't get in. He saw that someone listed some fake laptops for sale on his account. Then I couldn't
1: actually understand at the time, for the life of me, why anyone would do that.
0: In high school, Cam was into computers and would download some pirated movies too. One day he realized he could put his computer skills to use at school. Cam was falling behind at school and wanted to change his grades. He couldn't actually figure out how to hack into his grades, but he did hack into the school's website and messed around a lot. He made a mistake by telling some people about this prank. And that got him suspended.
1: I learned a, a quick lesson to watch who you talk to, Connor.
0: Kind of. <laughs> that wasn't the last time Cam hacked his school, though. Cam took a CAD class in high school, and he spent the whole class messing around with his friend. Since he wasn't doing his assignments, he came up with an idea steal someone else's work. He used Sub7, which is a Trojan, to attack the guy's computer in front of him. He got the guy's IP, logged in, took all his work, and then just changed his name on the work and printed it out and turned it in and got an A for the class. Cam made fake report cards too. He would use Photoshop, design it up, write whatever grades he wanted, um, make it look official, and then sell it to other students. These Photoshop skills would prove to be pretty useful later on because Cam was about to enter the world of fake IDs. Do you, the listener, remember when you were 17 or 20, just one year away from being able to buy cigarettes or alcohol or do some adult age thing? That weight is very hard for some people, including Cam. So he went online and found a place to buy a fake ID. He ordered one. And to make a fake ID look right, you have to send your real photo in. So he sent a photo of himself and got it in the mail. And it was kind of crappy looking. The cuts around the corners were off, and it just didn't look right. But he thought, ah, what the heck, I'll try it, and he gave it a shot. So one day he went to the store to try to use his fake ID to buy a pack of cigarettes. But the store didn't buy it, and confiscated his fake ID. The plan failed, but by this point, Cam had really analyzed what an ID should look like, and researched how all this was done, and decided he could probably make a better fake ID himself. And this was the decision that sent him on a new trajectory in life.
1: I, you know, told myself that, you know, I'm not gonna buy another piece of crap ID. I'm I'm gonna, I'm just gonna make one.
0: If you're wondering how a high school kid could just decide to make a decent fake ID, you should know that Cam wasn't just an ordinary high school kid. He was deep into computers and he started hanging around some pretty shady forums and chat rooms. He became a regular on counterfeit library And that's a place that could teach people how to make fake diplomas and IDs.
1: Counterfeit library was like a precursor to Shadow Crew or Carter Planet or any of those forms around Then,
0: Oh, the guys from Shadow Crew. I'll have to do a whole episode on Shadow Crew one day because that's a crazy story all by itself. But basically Shadow Crew was a website, a chat room, a forum, and on the forum you could trade illegal things. Picture a typical darknet marketplace, but before the darknet existed and before Bitcoin existed, on Shadow Crew you could buy fake degrees and fake diplomas and stolen credit card numbers and fake IDs. Kim wasn't on that website yet cuz that website didn't exist, but he was in the chat rooms with the people who would later go on to make Shadow Crew. Cam started learning how to make fake IDs through this chat room, and he downloaded templates and learned about materials. He eventually figured out a process that worked and made his own fake ID. So eventually, he was producing some pretty convincing cards for himself. His picture was on it, but with a fake name and a fake address. And they looked pretty good. Better than the one he ordered, at least. Cam was living with his dad at the time. As a teenager, Cam wanted cool stuff to, you know, show off at school or something.
1: Clothes, shoes,
0: uh, when I became old enough to drive a car. He realized to buy this stuff, he would need to find a way to make money. So Cam came up with an idea. He could sell fake IDs to kids at school. He got a fellow student to be his front man, and his friends would make deals, and Cam would make the cards.
1: You'd fill a cartridge up with an adhesive, like a glue sort of adhesive, and you could print with the templates onto the, the laminates the design for the hologram, It would print basically the glue for the design of the hologram, and then you'd have the right mixture of these powders for different whatever state would be a different mixture of gold and silver or whatever. And then you'd sprinkle it on there with stated adhesive, and now that was your your holo pouch. Now, those laminates would have a mag stripe on them too for California or for Texas, you know, for the states that it applied to or whatever.
0: His local business was going well, but Cam wanted to sell more cards and make more money. So he took his business online and started selling the fake IDs on internet forums. And something strange started happening. People were buying lots of fake IDs. Like one guy would buy dozens of fake IDs with the same picture, just lots of different names and addresses. This would be like a thousand dollars worth of fake IDs. Kim couldn't figure out why. But he just kind of shrugged and made them and shipped them and let the mystery go. But then one day he got a clue. One day, a guy ordering a bunch of fake IDs from him made an intriguing offer.
1: He said, um, I can either pay you $1,000 or I can send you 2000 carded Western Union. Now, which would you prefer? So, of course, I've been hearing and reading about, you know, people carding Western Union and things like that. But you know, I didn't realize it was the first interaction with somebody that was actually doing it, I guess.
0: Cam put the pieces together. This guy was carding. Carding is when you use stolen credit card details to buy something, either digitally or by counterfeiting a physical version of the card. You can use these for anything, shopping online, cashing out at ATMs, or sending money to someone through Western Union. What this guy was offering is he would send Cam $2,000 through Western Union, but it would be from a stolen credit card. This is more risky for Cam because it's illegal to receive money that you know is stolen. So he had to make the choice. $1,000 $1,000 in clean money or $2,000 in stolen money?
1: I was just really curious and, and kind of, I guess, fascinated by all the stuff that people were talking about on there. You know, it just kind of, but at the time it was really all through. I didn't really believe for sure that a lot of people were really doing all, all this stuff. You know what I mean? Like it kind of just seemed like, okay, for real, are they actually doing this? And it was a whole different, it was a whole different ball game back then. I mean, things were pretty much wide open.
0: Cam had known about carding before, or at least he'd heard of it. But one day he found physical evidence of it. He was at an ATM, and near the ATM was a plastic credit card on the ground, and he picked it up and noticed something strange. The text on it was black and blurry, and the embossed numbers just didn't look right. Cam thought for sure this was a counterfeit credit card.
1: So I was just kind of like, wow. You know, it kind of made me think. Okay, so I guess some of this stuff really is going on. You know, if I just found one of these on there, so out of you know curiosity, I just kind of kept it, held on to it.
0: Kim dabbled with trying to make fake credit cards himself. While making these fake IDs, he got a hold of an MSR, which is a mag stripe encoder, or you can think of it as the device that writes information to a credit card.
1: The reason I needed one at the time was for coding IDs. That was my only the only interest at that time. You know, I wanted my IDs to scan. So it was Texas and California were two states I was making, and I needed them scanned, so I wanted an MSR. But at the time, they, they cost like six or $700, so I brought it up in the channel. And wow. somebody mentioned, man, just card it. That kind of sparked my interest where I uh, messaged him, like, what do you mean, card it?
0: This really sparked Cam's interest. He wasn't sure what they meant by just card it. But he looked into it and was able to get his hands on a full
1: basically a cvv a card with the cvv the expiration uh but also the name address phone number date of birth mother's maiden name mm. social security number so it's a full info so not just track two gotcha yeah so it's it's actually where it the dumps you know you have the tracks of data this is just for online purchases or over the phone or whatever it's the account information but also included is the mother's maiden name social security number date of birth so they call it a full, a full mm. info.
0: He was naive at the time and thought by just having a full, it would allow him to buy whatever he wanted. So he gave it a shot, tried to buy something, but the transactions never went through. He tried a few times, but this full didn't work at all for some reason. So Cam wasn't sure if carding was real or not until this guy offered to send him some cash through Western Union using a stolen credit card.
1: Now looking back, the risk probably was should have been a little more concerning, but I was just excited to do it. So of course I took the the 2000 and accorded Western
0: Union. That meant CAM had to pick up the money in person. Now, Western Union is a way to transfer money from one person to another. You can call them on the phone, give your credit card details to them, and tell them who's going to pick up the money. And they'll take the money out of the credit card. And when the person comes in and presents proper ID, then Western Union will give them the money. There are official Western Union shops out there, but this is such a popular service that it's often seen in grocery stores and gas stations in the US and around the world. So he makes a fake ID, puts a picture of himself in it, but uses a fake name and address and everything, and then tells the guy to send money to this fake name he just invented. So the guy calls up Western Union, gives them the stolen credit card numbers, and sends $2,000 to this fake name that Cam gave. And Western Union took the money out of the credit cards and held it for Cam to come get. Cam gets word the money is there, but he didn't have a car, so his friend's girlfriend drove him to Western Union. He goes in, fills out the form, gives that ID to the lady at the counter, and the lady picks up the ID and looks at it and looks at Cam. Cam starts to get nervous. He's committing fraud, and he knows it, and any mistake could get him caught and in trouble. Since he made the ID himself, he knew just how many mistakes it had. But she doesn't notice any problems. She counts out the money, hands him the cash, and he walks out of the store $2,000 richer.
1: It's kind of a, I guess, a rush or whatever you want to call it. It's kind of an odd feeling. You know, it was like, it's kind of a, a thrill.
0: The guy Cam was working with online was impressed at how well the transaction had gone. He wanted to keep buying fake IDs from Cam, but he had another proposal.
1: He's like, hey, you know, I want to keep buying it for you. But also he's like, hey, matter of fact, do you just want to start picking up transfers for me? Because you're like the perfect drop guy. You make the IDs yourself.
0: Cam was the perfect guy to do this. A rebellious teenager, good at computers, good at making counterfeit IDs, and who's interested in the whole carding scene. He could quickly whip up a new ID whenever he needed to go drive and pick up some cash. And then his job was to act like someone else for five minutes, hand them the fake ID and wait for them to give him cash. So he agreed to this plan. And all of a sudden something clicked in Cam's head. And now he understood why people needed multiple IDs with the same picture. They weren't 16 year olds buying fake IDs to drink and smoke. They were using IDs to card. Cam was no longer peering into the dark world of carding. He realized he was already living in it.
1: So I took the offer, you know, I said, yeah, actually, no problem.
0: So they start working together. Cam would make a few fake IDs for himself and tell the guy what info was on the ID. And the guy would call Western Union, give them stolen credit card details and tell Cam it's ready. Cam would then go down to any Western Union and pick up the cash. The plan is actually working pretty well. Cam started making some real money from this. Every day he worked with the guy, he made about $5,000. And that's a lot for anyone, but especially a high schooler.
1: I was making obviously more money than I've ever made in my life because I was only in high school at the time, making thousands of dollars a day. Now, I will say that he was a little older than me, so he was more disciplined. And so he actually understood that it was something that probably wasn't going to last forever.
0: Then Cam and the guy had a falling out. Their agreement just fizzled out somehow and all of a sudden Cam was back to where he started. But now he had a taste of the dark life. Cam liked the money that was coming in and he was still selling fake IDs, but those $5,000 days were gone. Cam didn't like being cut off from this. So he decided to take what he learned and go into business of his own. The only problem was Cam didn't have the skills to card yet. He understood the idea and the concepts of it, but wasn't sure about the means and methods to actually do it. He could make fake IDs and pick up the money, but his partner had always acquired the stolen cards and made the money transfers. He needed to get some stolen cards. He needed more credit card information. He needed help. So he turned to the place that always helped him before, the forums and the chat rooms of Counterfeit Library, which was now just about forming into Shadow Crew, and he had the skills and ability to withdraw money from a stolen credit card, but he didn't have the stolen credit cards. He turned to the forum to figure that out, and there's an option of buying them or becoming a cashier. But the problem is, people in these forums were not always very trusting, they were hesitant to work with Cam.
1: And actually, I kind of faked it. I faked it till I made it. Kind of, I just kind of said that I know how to do this. And I had a general idea of what the guy was doing that I was working with. But of course, I hadn't done it. I didn't have any experience. So I know just from reading guides and tutorials and stuff on Shadow Crew whatnot, that I know kind of what he's doing, but I haven't done it. So I just kind of bullshit my way through it until start started advertising in the channel that I know how to do it.
0: Cam found a couple of guys from Kosovo, a country in Southeast Europe. These guys were looking for someone like him. They had acquired a lot of stolen credit cards. Who knows where they got them? But they were looking for anyone online who was willing to be a cashier. Someone to take these stolen credit cards and figure out a way to pull money out of them and then keep half of that and send the other half back to the guys in Kosovo.
1: So somebody hits me up, like, hey, look, we want to try you out.
0: The Kosovo guys give him a test. They send him the full details of five stolen credit cards. The plan was that Cam would cash out on these cards and send half the money back to the guys in Kosovo. Cam did some research on the best way to try to charge these cards and gave it a shot. His plan was to call Western Union and give them the credit card details over the phone and try to send money to one of his fake identities. He tried to get cash from the first card, but that card was declined. Shoot. He hung up the phone, waited a while, and called back and tried another card. But that card was declined too. The third card was declined, and the fourth card declined too. Shoot. This wasn't working. He was worried that if all five of the cards were no good, then it might make him look bad. Because what do you tell the Kosovo guys? That all the cards were bad? Would they even believe you? Or would they say, no way, we gave you good cards, man. You must have just cashed them out and kept the money. And they could ruin his reputation. Kim wanted to work with these guys, but their cards were not working. He crossed his fingers and tried the fifth card, and to his surprise, it went through. He was able to send $500 through Western Union to one of his fake names.
1: I went, picked up the $500 myself, and made a decision just to send all of it to them and say that kind of that, that was actually for two orders. You know what I mean? I kind of bullshit in my way a little bit, saying that two of them had worked out, one failed, or whatever it was. I didn't know that somebody actually being straight up and legit with them, period, was a huge, valuable. Having somebody in the United States, obviously, it grabbed their attention because back then, there was a huge problem, especially on these IRC networks, with ripping. It's just people just running out. You know, they just say they're going to do this. They never do it. So, obviously, these people anticipated that. They thought that was what was going to happen.
0: Finding good cashers is hard. Some cashers suck at what they're doing. Others take the credit card numbers and cash out and just keep the money. It's hard to build trust in these circles. People with huge amounts of stolen credit cards need a large network of cashers, but they don't want to send a ton of cards to the first person willing to do it. They need to find people who are smart at getting money out of the cards and are honest about sending back their cut of it. And so when the Kosovo guys saw money coming back from this first round, this made them happy and were willing to send Cam some more cards. And so Cam would continue to cash out on the new cards and send back half the money to the Kosovo guys. And the Kosovo guys became really happy with Cam.
1: So now they're gonna flood me with whatever I want. So it was a good decision on my part because now I have absolutely no problem with with getting cards because they give me literally whatever the hell I asked for.
0: Once Cam would get the cash out of the cards, he would send half back to the guys in Kosovo. To do this, he used a service called eGold. This is basically sending money through the internet Because Bitcoin wasn't a thing yet, so this was an anonymous way to send money. Kem's business was starting to shape up. He was getting tons of card details from the Kosovo guys and cashing out stolen cards as much as he wanted all day long. He pretty much had an unlimited supply of cards and he could keep half of whatever he took out. He became so successful, he started expanding that business. Soon he had people doing pickups for him, and he was learning new techniques, and he figured out ways to social engineer some of the banks connected to the cards. And he would call the bank and he would pose as the actual card holder and get the bank to switch phone numbers to his burner phone. His trick was to use the address of abandoned houses and switch the address and phone number to that. This way, if any potential fraudulent charges were flagged, the bank would call his number to confirm, did you make this charge? And he would say, yep and the money would go through.
1: But nowadays, this wouldn't work. Nowadays, they got flags for for an address being changed within 30 days or, you know, yeah. just things like that. I think you know. That's,
0: uh, that's because someone ruined it.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> Somebody, you know, I don't know who the hell.
0: Now, all this time, Cam was still doing all this through Western Union. He would call them on the phone, give them the card details and they would charge it and make it ready for him to pick up with his fake ID. And he would sometimes go to the same place to pick up his money a few times, and he did try to go out to different places, which meant sometimes taking a road trip and visiting western unions far away. But Cam knew it was also possible to take money from these cards by just using an ATM to withdraw money. The only problem was, he didn't know how to do that. To start, the ATMs require a physical plastic card. Cam had dabbled with this in the past, but never did figure out how to get these cards working right. So how do you get the card details printed on a physical card? At the time, there weren't very good tutorials on how to do that. The people who taught him seemed to just be guessing on how to do it, and it's really quite difficult. See, on a credit card, there are multiple pieces of information. A card has track one data and track two data. And in these tracks is the information that machines need to process the card. Then on top of that, there's CVV1 and CVV2 data on a credit card. Now, one of these is only in the MagStripe data. And so the only way to get it is to actually scan the card and see what's there. So unless you have that, this gets really hard, but not impossible. But this track data is obfuscated and confusing to figure out. It's encoded in a weird way and it has lots of extra bits and characters which mean different things. So even though he had the credit card data, he needed to figure out how to encode it properly to be functioning track one and track two data when it gets swiped. I mean, just to give you an idea how weird this is, track two data uses a five bit scheme. Four data bits plus one parity bit. Now, with four data bits, you have 16 possible characters, right? But it's not hexadecimal. Zero through nine are valid characters, but then it uses colon, semicolon, greater than, less than, equal, question mark, and dot. So yeah, figuring out how to get these characters written under the card properly is tricky. But Cam wanted to figure it out. So he started getting supplies. Getting the blank credit cards and the card reader is easy. Anyone can buy this stuff on eBay and even Amazon sells it today. But the expensive and tricky part is the software used to write the cards properly. So Cam spent hours trying to turn his blank cards into real usable credit cards. He'd try a few different cards and write stuff on them and then drive to an ATM and swipe them, but none were valid. And so he'd go home and try some different methods of writing the data to it and then drive to the ATMs and try again. But it never worked. The machines always gave him errors. Cam was getting pretty discouraged about this and was about to give up. Until one day, he put his card in the machine and it recognized it and it asked him how much money he wanted and he asked for the max amount of money, and it just shot out at him. It worked.
1: I used to always remember the kid off the movie, Terminator 2. Remember him pulling money out of the ATM machine or whatever.
0: Just three, zero, zero. Bucks. Come on, baby, come on, come on, come on, yes. And,
1: and some 20s flew out in the little tray. So, I mean, the first time that happened, it was like, holy shit. You're taking some numbers that basically just came off the internet, you know what I'm
0: saying? And, from then on, caching ATMs became a regular part of his routine. But it didn't always work for him. The encoding was still not right. Something wasn't perfect. When you go to do these pickups at Western Union and this one at the, at the ATM, are you wearing disguises or do you do it at night? Um, or do you have a trick?
1: No, I mean, now you would. I would obviously wear like a hat and, you know, some basic stuff like that. But what I learned actually over the time is the cameras don't really matter that much, especially if you're out of town. Now, the reason I say that is because surprisingly, a lot of the times, I guess it's never reported. It's like how I was saying, I'd go back to the same Western Union a lot. And the guy still to the day, at least right before I got locked up, would still say hey to me. How you doing? You know, how's business going? Stuff like that. And I mean, over years, I picked up and and also sent God knows how many, like I used to send a lot of money too, you know, Adam, but also pick up a lot of my, so I don't know how many times I'd picked up and then with different names, all sorts of different names and IDs and shit. I mean, he, he still recognized me and would still say, Hey, how are you doing? You know, I mean, it was, but
0: um, if you go to the same Western union shop every day and pick up a thousand dollars, do they get suspicious? No. Yeah. Right
1: now. No, obviously you can't do that, but I will say this. I went to tons of them over and over again. And I would, for whatever reason, never hear anything about it. There was one in particular, and I always thought it was funny because I've been in there with so many different IDs, so many different names. I had some bullshit story, you know, of what I would throw it in there while I'm doing it, you know, to kind of make it a little easier, like, you know, to kind of smooth it over a little bit so it didn't seem suspicious as to why I'm getting all this money. A lot of it was like stories about outsourcing web development to Kosovo, just bullshit.
0: Cam keeps getting cards from the guys in Kosovo, but at this point he's experimenting with buying his own dumps. But then he got his hands on one thing that would open up all kinds of new opportunities.
1: Actually somebody came along on RC and made a deal to me. There was a there was a, it turned out it was I guess I don't know if you call it a scam, but it was somebody doing being pretty slick. Okay, they were selling a program and the program was called dc.exe. Now DCIDXE was just a real simple little script that looking back at I mean it was it was compiled it wasn't a script but I mean all it did was had a couple simple functions apparently to read an input file you know and spit out an output file. This was the
0: magic software used to format the data so the MSR could write the track data to the card properly. Cam found out later it wasn't so magical, but at that time, this was the missing element to his operation. This would allow him to write stolen credit card data onto blank credit cards more effectively.
1: All it did was just do a couple little operations to the track, you know, added the tracks, they automated the process basically. Mm-hmm. But at the time, everybody thought it came with a bin list of all the known bins to work with that program. You know what I mean? So you could put in an in file, you could put a list of fish cards, the expirations, and you run it on the out file would be the generated track data, right? Mm -hmm. Now, this dude offered to sell this to me for
0: $1,500. Hmm, tough call, huh? Shady guy on an internet forum is offering to sell Cam a program called dcr.exe for $1,500? I don't think I would buy that. But Cam, well, I guess he thought in for a penny, in for a pound, so he bought it. And the software worked. It encoded the track data onto the cards perfectly. Now he's unlocked the next level. He doesn't have to go to Western Union every time he wants to take money out of these cards. Now he could just print some new cards out and go to any ATM and get some money out that way. And there's so many more ATMs than there are Western Unions in the world. Not to mention you don't have to interact with anyone at an ATM. It's just a machine. And so there's no one that can detect you or spot your fake ID or anything. His possibilities just exploded. And Cam rode that explosion. He printed up fresh stolen cards and would drive around to different ATMs just taking money out wherever he wanted. It was kind of magical. You weren't growing more nervous. You were actually getting more confident and brave.
1: Right. That's kind of what happened. I guess just because you get a little more... Like I said, man, it's nothing I really and proud of doing it. it's not something like like bragging about it or nothing yeah. like that, but it's just kind of how it, it plays out and also there's kind of an element to it where on the forums and your reputation on the forums and online and stuff to where you've got this brand name you get to where you keep pushing it more and more because you want your reputation better you know what i mean or yeah. you, you don't want to let somebody down that you're dealing with or whatever it, it shit got deeper and deeper and uh, drugs didn't really help
0: he was now deep into the carding scene, buying thousands of card details at a time, printing them out on cards, and cashing them out at ATMs. He had some people he knew help him do some of the cash-outs, too. He started buying his own card dumps online, so he wouldn't have to send half back to the guys in Kosovo. And actually, he just stopped dealing with the guys in Kosovo altogether. He was getting involved with so many different things, and trying to learn how to make more money and be more efficient all at the same time. This was turning out to be really profitable little operation at 18 Cam bought a new Jeep Cherokee, but one night he partied too hard, got really wasted, and tried to drive home. He ran off the road and wrecked it. He hardly remembers anything from that night. But soon after that, he bought a BMW, and then later on he bought a Mercedes. He was riding high, standing tall. At this point in the operation, Cam's system was pretty dialed in. He would buy card details in bulk online and use different methods to cash them out. He was pretty self-sufficient. But not all dumps are the same. Good ones are harder to find. So he decided to start stealing credit cards himself. He found someone who would teach him how to fish and I mean fish, as in P-H-I-S-H. The guy was teaching him to send phishing emails and getting people to click links that they shouldn't be clicking. And he gave Cam a list of people involved in spamming and phishing.
1: It was like an instant messenger buddy list or something. I mean, with a gold mine of contacts. Now, if you were phishing, this is the ultimate contact list because basically it's got all the people selling all the lists of email addresses, you know, targeted email lists, proxies for spamming spamming tools spamming software you know i mean everybody that's really serious in spamming, spam and this is a, a, a good contact list for it right mm-hmm.
0: cam's phishing scam was to tell people they needed to update their account details on paypal the link would take them to cam's website which looked exactly like paypal starting with the login screen and then it would ask users to update everything in their account details first name last name address phone number credit card number expiration date and heck you'd even ask for a date of birth or a social security number sometimes too and then when they'd hit enter, this little PHP script would save all those details and send it to Cam, but then redirect the user to the real PayPal website. So Cam was working with spammers and fishers to send out tons of emails telling people they need to come check their account or their auction is ending soon, anything to get them to log in. And a certain percentage of people would open the email and click on the link and go to Cam's fake site and enter their username and password. And with that, Cam would have their logins to PayPal and eBay. No, to run a scam like this, you need a web server to host your fake website. And Cam had a clever trick for getting a website that wasn't linked to his name.
1: We'd just find some popular little public exploit at the time for Apache or whatever it was and scan a bunch of IP ranges until we found some uh, automatically just exploit a bunch of little web servers or whatever that were just some bullshit server somewhere that wasn't doing anything. So it's interesting that uh, you use
0: someone else's uh, hacked server to do all that. That's. of a brilliant step
1: basically i had a little better edge on it and uh was able to do a little better and especially when we targeted some of the isps and stuff like that here comes this fucking train again
0: (laughs) you don't really know jeez man that thing blows it I mean, actually, you get kind of used to it. (laughs) Cam learned how to improve his phishing emails to get past spam filters and get a higher click rate. He wrote a little program to randomize certain parts of the email to get them past filters. But at this time, people in the carding scene didn't really know that much about phishing, and people in the phishing scene didn't know that much about carding, except Cam, who started learning both worlds.
1: I was killing it. I had a deal with a dude. It was helping me spam. At one point, I had like ten dedicated servers pushing out like seven hundred, some thousand emails an
0: hour. Seven hundred thousand emails an hour? Uh, even if one percent of those people clicked the link, that's seven thousand credentials he could get in an hour. Kim felt invincible until the cops got involved. Kim was in a little town in South Carolina on his way to meet his friends for a St. Patrick's Day parade. He decided to work a bit before the parade. He started going around to a few ATMs and cashing out. Then Cam walked into a Circle K gas station wearing a hat and sunglasses. He takes out one of his cards and puts it in the ATM at the gas station. Out of the corner of his eye, he sees a cop walk in the door. He sticks his stuff in his pocket and starts to leave.
1: I gotta leave. He's like, hey, are you just gonna leave all those receipts over there?
0: There's a bunch of ATM receipts sitting on the machine, but they weren't Cam's though.
1: So I said, no, but I'll, you know, I'll throw them away. They're not mine, I'll throw them away. So I go throw them away and go to leave again. He's like, no, hold on a minute. He's like, hey, what are you doing? You know, what are you, like, who are you or something? You know, he asked for an ID. I gave him a fake
0: ID. Cam pulls out a Virginia ID. And remember, they're in South Carolina. The policeman starts telling Cam some story about how there'd been robberies in the area.
1: But as he's talking to me, I can see outside the door and the windows a bunch of more cop cars pulling up. So I'm already thinking, oh, shit,
0: you know, this isn't good. The cop keeps questioning him.
1: He's like, hey, uh, you know, what are you doing here? What are you over here for? You know, I said, well, I'm from around here originally, but I'm in Virginia going to school. And my family lives over here. Uh, I'm here visiting family or whatever, but I go to visit, go to my bank. I'm trying to find my bank because my friend told me my bank was over here. I didn't want to pay the fee. He told me there was a branch over here. I got over here, there's not, so I just used this one. He's like, well, where do you bank at?" I told him Fifth Third, because I knew that there was no Fifth Third banks over there. And he's like, no, they're not here. You know, whatever. So anyway, I must have, he was convinced, apparently, because he ended up telling me, all right, we'll just get out of here.
0: Cam gets out of the store, but he's shook. Instead of walking towards his car, he walks the opposite direction and just tries to get out of sight quickly. He's just so paranoid that the police will follow him if he drives off. So he leaves his car in the parking lot, chills out for a while, and then comes back for it later when the coast was clear. He gets in his car and drives straight home, which was hours away. He gets home and gets rid of anything that could connect him to criminal activity, holograms, ID-making materials, and the MSR card writer. Kem lays low for a while and just chills out. And so we'll take a quick break right here. But don't go away, because this story is only half over. Months go by and Cam lays low. Nothing happens though. Cam convinces himself it must have just been a coincidence that that cop walked into that store, but that wasn't the end of Cam's legal problems. It's amazing to me what actually got him into trouble next because even though he was engaged in serious criminal activity, making fake IDs, it was a dumb teenage crime that got him underage drinking. When Cam was 18, he got caught at a bar with a fake ID, which gave him some legal trouble this was the first time he had to go to court because of something related to his carding and ID business. The
1: bailiff, you know, was like, hey, Mr. Harris, so I go with him and it turns out <laughs> they had found out who I was. It turns out
0: While guy, he was handling his underage time drinking time charge, local himself. investigators were also trying yeah. to figure out who was cashing out on stolen credit cards at ATMs. And some of the ATMs Cam used were at gas stations and one of the cashiers at a gas station saw the video footage of Cam taking money out of the ATM and remembered his face. And later on, that cashier saw Cam in his car at a different part of town. And so the cashier wrote Cam's license plate down and sent it to the police. Cam didn't know it at the time, but an investigator had been on to him. But that was in another state. Since Cam was in Georgia at the time, the police couldn't cross lines to arrest him. So they just kind of waited for Cam to make another mistake. But Cam getting caught for underage drinking was the perfect opportunity for the police. They showed up at court with a warrant for Cam, knowing that he'd be there.
1: And that dude was so pissed off. That local local investigator was so mad that cop let me go that day. Like, (laughs) he was pissed off. He's like, dude, I almost had him fired for that. You know, he was yelling at me about it and stuff, but I mean...
0: They searched his house for evidence and found a few things that he didn't clean up. How much did they think that you did? How much did they? They thought it was just it was just what they
1: found at my house and stuff. Like it was, they didn't think they found a bunch of receipts, found some more cash, they found some more cards, and they didn't think anybody else was involved. You know what I mean? They just thought, they thought it was just me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they never really got into where it was coming from or anything. They just ended up indicting me for all the stuff they found basically at my house.
0: So while he had actually been carding thousands of cards, fishing millions of people, and robbing banks all over the country, the police had only uncovered a very small part of the operation. And so he was charged with financial card forgery and had to serve 10 months in a county jail. How devastated were you when you heard that sentence that you were going to go to jail for 10 Uh,
1: months? It actually was a long time. like It seemed like forever then, you know?
0: Still, Cam was lucky because the police didn't find a lot of evidence of what he had done and only charged him with cashing out a few cards. Compared to what he could have gotten in trouble with, if the police only knew what he had been up to, 10 months was nothing. The police thought he was just working alone, and skimming a few credit cards. And he was able to get out on bond pretty quick, actually. But would this be enough of a slap on the wrist to keep Cam out of the scene for good? Yeah, it was. At least for a little while. But then he'd sometimes get reminded of the thrill of it all. He missed being able to buy drugs and throw parties. He missed the lifestyle that his old money brought him. And so he got back into it.
1: I didn't quit. I didn't learn my lesson like an idiot. (laughs) But I guess you could say kind of hooked on it.
0: When Cam got out of jail, he had nothing, no equipment, no cards, no numbers, no computer, no money. The police seized everything. They even froze his bank account. So one of the first things Cam did when he got out of jail was go straight to an internet cafe. Remember his phishing operation before where he had hacked someone else's websites and staged a fake PayPal login to capture victim's credentials? Yeah, well, he remembered the FTP password to that site. So he sat down and tried to log in. His password worked first try. He was in the server and he looked around for the data. And sure enough, there were a lot of victim usernames and passwords. Bingo. This would be all that Cam needed to get going again. He could use these people's PayPal and eBay logins to buy whatever he needed on eBay.
1: I carted some cheap web hosting, put the scam page on it, even carted an email list from some other marketing supply company or something like that. Carded some hosting for a PHP mailer, put it on there, spam some, got a few more cards. Anyway, I came all the way back up from scratch from a fucking FTP login that I remembered a PayPal scam page was fun. Did a couple Western unions, got a couple some more money back in my pocket. All from well, like I gotta say a friend loaned me a couple cards and I had that scam page. I turned it into more cards and back all the way back into doing dumb shit, you know?
0: Kim used stolen information to get a new laptop, a card writer, fake ID printer, and went straight back to his old habits.
1: But I will remember, <laughs> I ended up having all the uh, several, a bunch of the computers that were at the uh, cyber cafe. I, I turned I had Darkmailer installed on all of them with blasting out spam. And I remember there was some kids that would come play Counter-Strike there. <laughs> and uh, while I'm sitting there configuring Darkmailer on a couple of them, Cause I would just hide the process. I remember hearing a couple of them complaining about it lagging pretty bad. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of funny because it's probably because all the machines were sitting there blasting out spam, but Hey, look, I, I, I think I got to get inside right yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, cause, um, I was supposed to be in by eight, but I just noticed, I think it might be seven 30 sometimes depending on who's working and nobody's out here. Okay. Yeah.
0: yeah, no problem. All right. So let's pick this up again next weekend. Like I said, I've had so many long conversations with Cam to try to understand this whole story. And to be honest, this story took me a long time to process and understand. In between our calls, I would read through court documents and call up other people who knew him and look through the Wayback Machine at some of the websites he told me about. As far as I can tell, this story checks out just as he tells it. Hello? Hey. Were you standing in the yard again?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This train can still come back
0: around. Yeah, it will. I'm sure of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how hot is will. it out there? Uh, it's like 91 degrees. Oh, man. I hope we find some shade. I don't really
1: remember where we left off. Um, so you got,
0: you got arrested. You lost everything. And yeah. you had an FTP server, and you were able to get into okay. that? So, I mean, here's the thing I don't get. Is you just, I mean, you just freshly got arrested, freshly got out why didn't this teach you a lesson? Why didn't you stop then and say, okay, yeah, that's too dangerous. I don't want to go back to prison.
1: You know, I'd already been living on my own, and at the time I needed needed some more money. So um, it was just something I could do immediately to kind of solve that problem. And also uh, I was just young and pretty dumb. You know, I mean, I didn't realize exactly – the extent of trouble that I was really getting myself into, I guess. You know, also I was doing a lot of drugs at the time, to be honest. so, I mean, and also another thing is kind of like, once you kind of make some of those connections, you know, kind of like your reputation online, I guess, that'll kind of draw you back too sometimes. You know, it's like you don't want to let that reputation go or something. I don't really know how to explain it, yeah. but I definitely wish that I didn't.
0: Cam had fully established himself once again. He was buying cards, cashing them out, and making money right and left. He even took it further than he did before.
1: Now, at that time, I wasn't doing a whole lot of it myself. I had some other people involved. I still would do things um, a little bit myself from time to time. You get to make more of the money if you do it yourself. But also, I guess it was kind of a excitement to it or something like that that kind of goes along with it.
0: Cam remembered how his old operation was going well. He was able to make fake IDs and get stolen credit card data but didn't like having to split the money he cashed out with people who gave him the stolen cards. So this time, he wanted to figure out a way to steal the credit card data himself. This would allow him to close the entire loop of his operation and maximize his profits. And Cam was figuring out new techniques. He had a goal. He wanted to steal credit card information directly from businesses who processed credit cards for customers. He had watched how others had done it before him and jumped into the game. First is to identify businesses who process credit cards. Now, he didn't want to target big businesses because they're typically more secure. If you want to keep your site from getting hacked, one thing you can do is just make it harder for criminals like Cam. It's kind of like being chased by a bear, right? You don't need to be faster than the bear. You just need to be faster than the other person who you're running with. So Cam didn't even try big businesses. Too hard, he thought. But what about small businesses, locally owned restaurants, barbershops, coffee shops, bakeries, stuff like that? They might not have done a thing to secure their network. So targeting them might be easy, like grabbing low hanging fruit. He would drive around and find potential targets and go in and see if they had free Wi-Fi. And if so, he'd sit down and connect to it.
1: One thing I'd do is we'd have somebody go to a business and um, get the public IP address if they had free Wi-Fi or something like that. Now I know that either that system or something close to it might be their processing system. You know what I mean? Because so now that that IP, I'm going to scan that whole range.
0: Some small shops didn't separate their guest Wi-Fi traffic and their cash register system. So while inside the shop, he could scan around for all the computers on the network, find a machine that might be a cash register, and try to get into it.
1: Once we found like an IP range, use Nmap or something to scan and find out what open ports were there.
0: Now one port in particular he was hoping that was open was 3389, RDP. That's the remote desktop port. If this port was open, it meant that cache register allowed remote connections to it. Probably so someone can remotely connect to it in case there's a problem with the cache register. It's a lot easier to fix it if someone can just get into it remotely versus having to send someone on site to take a look. So this is what Cam was looking for, RDP open on cache registers. And after visiting a bunch of stores, trying over and over, eventually he got into one at a barbershop. He found the computer that processed credit card transactions, then accessed the software that handled those transactions. And he grabbed all the credit card data that he could find and started copying it over to his computer.
1: You know, it's a pretty exciting feeling. It's kind of just a thrill, I guess. Get on, your heart actually starting to beat a little fast or whatever, get a little nervous. There's was RDP brooding tools, so you could put in, I can't remember, it was like, uh, I think Hydra was one of them.
0: Ah, oh, right, Hydra. As a defender, I hated Hydra. It was persistent, relentless, and scary. Here's what it does. Hydra is a brute force password guessing tool. It's free. You can search for it on Google and download it and start using it in minutes. It'll try combinations of usernames and passwords to try to log into something. But on top of that, it's able to do this on remote websites or computers. So you can tell it, hey, try all the usernames and passwords on this website and see if you can get in. And Hydra will try tons of combinations of usernames and passwords on that website and then tell you if it had any successful logins. But it can also try logging into computers through RDP, the Remote Desktop Protocol, which is exactly what Cam was doing. Once he got into a shop's network and identified the cash register and found it had RDP open, he would unleash Hydra on it and try tons of different passwords to try to log in. The default username on a lot of Windows computers is administrator. So he was trying that username first with tons of different passwords. In case you were wondering how to protect against Hydra, there are a few things. First is to lock down who can access that computer over RDP. It's never a good idea for it to be open to the whole internet. Second, make sure passwords can't be easily guessed by using long, complex passwords. Third, enable some kind of lockout mechanism or CAPTCHA to slow down or stop Hydra from being able to try a password again and again and again and again. Well, as you can imagine, this worked on the barbershop that Cam had access to. Hydra tried a bunch of passwords and eventually found one that worked. Kim used that password to log into the cash register computer of a barbershop. Then he started looking around for the credit card details of the customers.
1: It'd be set up to rerun the point-of-sale software in like a debugger, so that way they can get you know, scan through the, the memory address ranges and also look for something that matched LUN's algorithm. That's a way to identify a credit card number.
0: Oh, this is interesting. LUN's algorithm, spelled L-U-H-N, is a way to check if a string or number is a credit card number or not. Now you might be wondering, isn't the credit card software in the database where the cards are kept secure? Like, isn't all that encrypted? Well, yeah, sure, it is. But Cam found a way around that. See, for computers to process the card data, it has to read the card data. So in the computer's memory, is the credit card details unencrypted? You just have to know where to look in the RAM to find it. Cam used a debugger to search the RAM, looking for strings that matched Lund's algorithm and if he found a hit, then he'd grab that, thinking it might be credit card details.
1: So if it found something in some of those memory ranges that it was, that particular software was known to use or whatever, then it matched Lund's formula or Lund's algorithm or whatever, then it would grab the rest of the track. And, you know, the track data has a certain format to so it. It begins with, a, I believe, a question mark either. Blend, no, it begins with a semicolon. And it ends with a question mark. So
0: basically anything in between that would be
1: your track two.
0: So Cam set up a little program on the cash register computer to constantly look for new cards. And then once an hour, send them to his server. So he was getting bunches of freshly stolen cards
1: every hour. Now there was nothing that would really work as good as your own fresh stuff. It was about the same as going and buying a base from somebody. But also you have the added benefit of knowing exactly where it's at.
0: A base is a database of stolen cards. But yeah, buying your cards from other people, who knows how long ago those cards were stolen, or how many other people have used those cards illegally since then. Having his own fresh database that only he used was definitely more profitable for Cam. Not only were the cards more valid on this list, but it cost him nothing to acquire them except his own time. So he might get a few thousand cards by breaking into a small shop and stealing them. Okay. But actually driving around, trying to find open Wi-Fi's for shops, and trying to break into their cash registers was a tedious and time-consuming process. Cam asked around online what others were doing, and someone handed him a special list. He got a list of IP addresses, which were supposedly small shops like this. The list had thousands and thousands of IPs, all belonging to small businesses and the theory was that these shops had to be online to process credit card transactions right and it was probably a regular windows computer which ran the software to process the cards but what happens if someone has to fix a problem on one of those computers they would need to either go on site to the shop and use the computer or set the computer up so that it's remotely controllable so cam scanned the list of ips he got and found a lot of them were actually running rdp the protocol that allows remote connections to it. Now, I've already said, don't do this. Don't stick a computer right on the internet and open it up for remote connections using RDP. It just welcomes people like Cam to start hammering on it, to try to get into it and pillage whatever's on there. RDP should only be open to computers on a trusted network, not from anyone in the world. So now that Cam has this list of small business IPs with RDP running, he then points Hydra to them. And Hydra starts trying to crack the password by trying thousands of different passwords there was also a list he got with the default usernames and passwords for each of these point of sale systems, just in case they didn't bother changing it from the default. He would point Hydra at one of these computers with RDP running and just let it run all night trying different passwords. And remember, he's now doing this remotely over the internet. He's not on their local Wi-Fi anymore. And to do this, he's still coming from servers that he packed into and they weren't even registered in his names. So it would make it harder for authorities to track it back to him. So with the combination of this magic list of IPs of small businesses, finding which IPs were running RDP and then pointing Hydra at all those computers, he was able to automate his hacking. And so he'd check the server in the morning and see that Hydra had successfully found passwords to a few systems. And then he would remotely connect into that computer with the password he found and bingo. He's in a computer which is processing credit cards for a coffee shop, a restaurant, a bar, a bakery. And he'd find the software which was handling the credit card data, download all the credit card data that was stored on it, and then close the connection, and he just got a few thousand more cards to cash out with. This was a big turning point in the whole operation. He's now able to get tons of credit card details himself without having to buy them, and when he pulls cash from them, he doesn't have to split it with anyone. And now he's able to do this at scale. At this point, Cam goes full throttle and turns this into a 24-7 operation.
1: That would go two, three, four days without sleep sometimes, just monitoring different servers and making sure that I'm still passing filters and things like that, tweaking different messages and macros, you know, so that would wear you out. And then also, believe it or not, obviously with the ATM stuff, you have to, obviously you gotta keep, you gotta move around. You can't really
0: just, in one spot. All this work resulted in a ton of plastic credit cards that he could use at ATMs and withdraw money. But to do this, he has to continuously keep on the move. Pulling a bunch of money from the same spot was too suspicious. So he would often go on a weekend road trip to another state and do it a bunch of times and then drive back. And he'd sometimes even fly out of town to do this work. He'd make a hotel reservation under a fake name and then ship his equipment there. Then he'd fly out and spend a few days on the job, hitting up dozens of ATMs all over town, pulling money out with credit cards.
1: I've got a stack of fresh ones in my left pocket. Now, as I'm working them, I'm putting them in. I'm running now, usually I try to stick to certain machines even because after a while you get to learn the different makes and models and you get to realize which ones are on like a network or which ones are on a Mm -hmm. dial-up and then also machines themselves have a limit. So you're trying to do as much as possible, as quick as possible. So you obviously prefer the network machines and you prefer uh, the biggest limit you can get on on the machine. But also, I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of the ones that are actually at banks, so I would try to stick somewhere in between there. So some of the smaller private ones that are inside stores or, or, you know, different locations or whatever, there was usually some cheaper ones that were dial up and they're slower and they have maybe like a two or $300 limit or there was some faster ones that had a 500 or a $1,000 limit. So you were able to kind of maneuver a little quicker. All right, now you obviously can't stand at one machine for like 20 minutes or 30 minutes or nothing, right? I mean, I just, it's pretty common sense, but you want to be able to do the most in the shortest amount of time. Mm-hmm. I'd have a pocket full of them, usually. Like, I'd have, like, when I'd go up to the machine, I got maybe at least 10 of them on me. Now, you know, not all of them are gonna work, you know, especially as time went on, that became, the number that became a lot more and more of them are working, you know, but I'm gonna put all, start with all in one pocket. If one of them didn't work, I'd usually put that in a back pocket. And if one did work, I'd usually take the receipt and the cash that came off of it, wrapped around the card and put it in my right pocket.
0: How many ATMs do you think you would hit in a in a busy day?
1: Well, it's like I, I guess some of it doesn't really matter now because like I, I get kind of paranoid with like some of the numbers. Okay, we don't have but, to get into it. But no, it's it's cool. Like okay, I'd say this doesn't really matter at this point because okay, the most we're talking pulling like a hundred, a hundred and some thousand a day. You know what I mean? But you got to figure it got to where that's like twenty percent is is my number.
0: Cash withdrawal limits restarted at midnight, so he'd usually be up till then, so he could cash out on that ATM twice. And then he'd go back to his hotel, dump out all his cash on the bed, and reorganize.
1: I'd usually spend two or three days at least doing it, and then by the end of the third day or whatever, I've, I've made um, a nice chunk of money, but also I'm pretty worn out and sketched out and tired of you know dodging mm-hmm. everything that comes along with that.
0: There's something hypnotizing about a large amount of money. I can just picture Cam sitting on one of the beds in his hotel room, staring at this pile of money on the other bed, where the slow reality hits him that he did it. The money is his, and it's real, and all the things he could buy with that. But then the sudden jolt back to reality, whenever he heard someone talking in the hall or a car door slam outside in the parking lot, there's a lot of anxiety and stress that came with stealing a lot of cash like this. How many cameras saw him on that trip? Did anyone notice his face around town? Were a trail of his fingerprints going to lead back to him at any moment? The duality of simultaneously feeling rich and in fear gets to a person.
1: I did a lot of partying. I did a pretty good bit of traveling, which some of it was to do with business, you know, or whatever, as far as this goes. Mm -hmm. And drugs. (laughs) I have pretty much lived at a... (laughs) At four or five star hotels for a little while as mm-hmm. far as uh, different places I was bouncing around between and um, cars clothes. What, kind of um,
0: what kind of cars did you just have?
1: whatever um, I've had a couple of Mercedes I had a pretty nice BMW I had some regular just like the trucks I told you about you know just kind of like my regular day to day little truck or whatever um, you know different things like that but my favorite car was my BMW Alpina it was a 2008 Alpina which is like the B7 it's like a you know a special edition 745
0: tell me about the parties you know it was, what were some of the more exciting parties
1: i had a a new year's eve party at the intercontinental hotel basically everybody i knew criminally or otherwise
0: was there this we is a the suite? Uh, suite that you rented
1: yeah this is like a presidential suite at the intercontinental a lot of drugs drinking and fun and a lot of girls
0: yeah Yeah. Uh, did you have like a dj no i didn't have a dj there can you take a guess how much you spent on that party yeah i spent about fifteen
1: seven thousand dollars i think on that party
0: (laughs) so i mean at that that moment of your life that was probably the peak of peak excitement of it all right you had the cars you had the parties you had everything you wanted what was life like for you were you totally like happy and satisfied
1: no, you know what, um, to be honest with you, I couldn't say I really was, man. It was a lot of stress. There was times that it was great, you know, but also, like I said, I got pretty deep off into some of the drugs and um, it kind of went up and down. It was really stressful, man. It's not something I really want to go back to. Like, I guess it was kind of the only thing I knew for a while. I really just wish I had uh, went a legitimate route somehow. The opposite direction or something you know something that was something that i could get the same thrill out of it but in, in a different way where it wouldn't put me in prison for 10 years or whatever to be honest with you it wasn't as much about money for me a lot of times i mean that was like a good byproduct to be to begin with money wasn't really my main concern or motivation it was partly you know obviously i needed to make some money but it was more about is this going to work and seeing if this would work and did, you know Actually seeing it work and just kind of the thrill that came along with that and uh, just the excitement, I guess. Also advancing up, like I said, the reputation thing. For some reason, that was a big part of it as far as online goes. But anytime, it seemed like almost every time something really good came along, something came along that messed it up.
0: The beginning of the end for Cam started when he found a new form, carter.su, This was basically a marketplace for carters. You could buy stolen credit card data here, track two data, fulls, bases, you name it. You can connect with cashers, or you can ask questions and learn how to card. It was kind of like a
1: a loosely based criminal eBay.
0: As it turned out, the feds had an eye on carter.su, but the website itself was bulletproof, meaning the server was hosted by a company somewhere in the world, which just didn't want to listen to US law enforcement. So the feds couldn't seize it or shut it down. So they had to wait. And they got lucky when the person who was running Carter SU moved the server. For some reason, the people running the site were moving hosting providers. And so for a few days during this transition, Carter.su was moved onto a server in Dallas, Texas. And that's when the feds got a warrant for that website hosting provider in Dallas. And they took a snapshot of the server, which gave them a list of all the users in the database. The feds were able to go through the user database and look up email addresses, Lots of people had signed up to the site using their normal email. Like, I bet the police were just able to search LinkedIn with these email addresses and find a bunch of people that way. In fact, a lot of people did get arrested from this carter.su bust. And I talk about carter.su in episode 32 called The Carter, which is what Cam originally reached out to me, correcting me on a few things. But Cam had been careful on Carter SU. He registered as the user Kilobit, which he didn't associate to his real name anywhere. It didn't seem like the feds had any leads on catching Cam from this bust. Cam made an unrelated mistake, though. He partied too hard one night at a Doubletree Hotel in Alabama. He was staying there with a friend, and they were smoking weed in the hotel room, but someone called to complain about the smoke. Cam got a knock on the door, and his friend opened it. It was the police, and they made their way into the room. Well, wh- um, were you thinking like, "Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh shit!" Yeah, of course. The police asked for their IDs, and Cam gave them a fake one. Of course, the one he actually used to reserve the room with.
1: I was pretty worried. But, I mean, it kind of was like, you know, all of a sudden they were thinking I was the guy on the fake ID, <laughs> and then when one of them found my real ID, um, they're kind of like, you know, who is this? So <laughs> I'm telling, oh, that's me. So they still haven't connected the two (laughs) Mm -hmm. until he hears the other one calling a warrant check on the fake name. He's like, well, if that's him, who's he? You know, who's this?
0: Cam gets arrested and the Secret Service interviews him. Now you might be thinking, what the heck does the Secret Service have to do with this? Aren't they supposed to be protecting the president? Well, they do that, but they also investigate financial crimes too, like stolen credit cards. And for some reason they had a hunch that Cam was into more than just fake IDs. This is the second time being arrested with a fake ID And the time before, he was busted doing stolen credit card stuff. So they investigated him further to try to figure out more.
1: One of them made a comment that, um, yeah, we talked to Washington and, and they know who you are. Now at the time, I'm thinking that, you know, they're just trying to scare me or something like that.
0: But it wasn't a bluff. The police had confiscated Cam's computer and they found something very interesting on it. When they booted it up, Kilobit appeared on the screen. Kim had named his computer Kilobit, and this was the same name he used on the Carter SU forums. And the police knew about Kilobit for years. The Secret Service in Las Vegas had been submitting reports about the alias, trying to figure out who was behind the name.
1: One of the things that kind of got me in a, a little more trouble was was helping out a lot more and a lot of people's questions and advice, you know, a lot of things like that. I think that kind of made me more like a prevalent person on that forum, in, in their eyes anyway. And then just being around for a long time and people knowing generally who I was.
0: But Cam didn't know that then. In his mind, he had just been caught with some fake IDs. And he got out on bail. And he was thinking he might get lucky a second time and just get away with a slap on the wrist. But that fantasy started to crumble one day when he got a call from his brother.
1: My brother calls me and tells me that that Secret Service and Homeland Security had just left his house. So I'm like, man, what? I'm thinking, what? Okay, what the hell? They're looking for you, but they wouldn't tell me what it was about.
0: Cam was getting worried. Now they're investigating his brother. Now they have Homeland Security involved. Cam had two phones, a normal one and a burner one for shady activity. He noticed that he'd lost his burner phone. So later that morning, he called a friend thinking he might have left his phone at his friend's house.
1: I'm like, hey, man, I think I left my phone at your house. And he's like, yeah, you definitely did because Secret Service and Homeland Security was here this morning looking for you. So, you know, now I'm starting to realize, well, it's kind of weird. You know, they're, they're not only in one city, but they're in another city several hours away.
0: Cam doesn't know what to make of this. He starts getting nervous. A few days pass, and he keeps hearing about the indictment related to Carter SU. But he convinces himself that he's clean, and there's no connection between him and Carter SU that he left behind. Then, while reading a blog, he comes across a copy of the indictment with his name on it. Kim calls his lawyer.
1: Now I call him, and I'm like, hey, man, I'm indicted by the feds for the RICO Act in Las Vegas. And he was like, well, how do you know that? I'm like, because I'm reading about it on a blog. <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, um, I'm like, there's a copy of the indictment on the guy's blog, man. Do you want me to send it to you? He's like, yeah, send it to me, and I'll call you back. So I email it to him. He calls me back, and he's like, yeah, if you go to court, they're probably gonna be there to to arrest you. So so I didn't go.
0: Cam gets a new ID, a new car, a new phone, and splits.
1: Well, I'm not gonna officially say I went on the run.
0: For a month, he holes up in an apartment, too afraid to go out. He feels like the walls are closing in on him, and there's no place to go. Finally, he can't take it anymore. He goes outside to get a haircut. On that day, some local cops pull him over, Cam can tell right away that this isn't just some traffic stop. They tell him to get out of the car and put his hands on his back. And he gives the cop a fake ID. They pat him down and put him in the back of the police car. They ask him if he knows who Cameron Harrison is.
1: I told him no. (laughs) I told him no. You know, but, you know, I was just, you know, scared, obviously. I didn't really know exactly what to do.
0: An unmarked car pulls up by the police car. The police talk to the man in the unmarked car who comes over to Cam, holding a big blown up photo of Cam.
1: And they know exactly who I was. I mean, from the, from the minute I was in the back of the car, he asked, you know, who Cameron Harrison is, And you know?
0: And that was the end for Cam. He went directly to jail, did not pass go, and stayed there. They had quite a lot of evidence on him. They knew about all his activity on Carter.su because they had his computer, too, and all the equipment from his house. The prosecutors knew he had broken the law, but they were trying to figure out exactly what he had done and how bad it was. Helping criminals on forums is not that bad, but breaking into small businesses, stealing credit cards, printing them, and going town to town draining every ATM in sight certainly is. Would the feds be able to figure out that he had stolen all these credit cards himself and done all that work? You wondered just how much the courts knew about him. Do you know how much you may have made from all this? illegal activity like in total did you make a million dollars or more
1: i mean that's kind of a a topic that uh isn't something i like to say a whole lot like you know in the public or whatever but let's um i guess you could say huh. i did pretty well i lived very nicely for for many many years which with with no worries i guess you can say yeah i, really I mean want to put a whole number on it like that
0: It was really hard for the police to sort out what they were dealing with here. The roll-up of carter.su identified a lot of criminals. So Cam's indictment had 39 other people on it, including him. Tons of people on that site were trafficking and cashing out on stolen credit cards. Tracking every card, trying to figure out how much was stolen was a mammoth task for law enforcement. But they came up with a number and decided that everyone on the indictment has to pay $50 million in restitution. Because the feds claimed everyone was responsible for the group's activity. How are you going to pay $50 million off? That's a good question, man. Um... (laughs) The $50 million was determined because the courts decided the entire group of 39 people had stolen $50 million from credit cards. Because some of the people in the indictment were stealing the cards, and some of the people were selling the cards, and some of the people were cashing out of the cards. And that's why there's a lot of overlap. It's hard to determine how much this person did or that person did when really it's when they got together collectively is when they were able to steal the most. A sentence came down for cam they found him guilty of rico that's participating in racketeering influence and corrupt organization because cam had cashers himself and was making fake ids for people to use to pick up money at western unions and atms it meant he was organizing some of this which means harsher penalties compared to just taking part he was found guilty and the judge sentenced him to 115 months which is nine years seven months he was able to get out after eight years and then go to a halfway house, and he still has to pay back that $50 million in restitution. Prison gave Cam a lot of time to think about what he did.
1: At the end, I would have been a lot happier probably doing something legitimate. <laughs> it wouldn't have been too much trouble, and I wouldn't have kind of tarnished my chances of any of that as bad as I have now. also wouldn't have put a lot of people through a lot of stress that I wish I hadn't have. As far as family and stuff like that goes. Now, at the time, you don't think about that as much when you're that young, I guess, and also when you're in the middle of doing things like that, but but when you're sitting in prison for several years, you definitely do.
0: Kim went to prison in 2012, and he spent eight years in there. Now he's out, or at least halfway out. I called him while he was at a halfway house, but now he's living in his own apartment. What are your future um, plans?
1: Well, I'm still working on that, but I'm hoping I can actually do something to kind of, you know, have more of a positive role. The ultimate goal would be, you know, and like the dream kind of outcome would be to somehow be able to use, you know, a lot of the bullshit that I've accumulated over time, a lot of the different knowledge to something beneficial in some sort of way. But obviously I can understand trust would be an issue, and I, I kind of – I guess um, makes you realize how much of a waste <laughs> – a lot of the quick money was, you know? It wasn't really, it doesn't equal to happiness.
0: A big thank you to Cameron Harrison, AKA Killabit for coming on the show and telling us your story. You can follow Cam on Twitter. His name there is Cam Says This. This show is made by me, Jack Resider, where the only cards I trade are Magic the Gathering cards. This episode is produced by Alana Strauss, who's always checking her shutter speed Sound designed by the marvelous Andrew Merriweather. Editing helped this episode by the mini boss, Damien. Our theme music is by the space traveler, Breakmaster Cylinder. And even though I keep getting in trouble for placing realistic plastic snakes under the data center floor tiles, this is Darknet Diaries.